From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. There's been a palpable buzz inside and outside the newsroom since Soleil Ho was announced late last year as the new Chronicle food critic. So much of it is the fact that the words new Chronicle food critic haven't been used for most of the past 30 years. Michael Bauer filled the role of critic or editor and defined our food coverage since the 1980s. I'm pretty sure my choice of where to eat for my senior prom, Fleur de Lis, came from a Michael Bauer recommendation. But Soleil arrives with excellent timing during radical change in both the restaurant industry and inside the Chronicle. Soleil is a former chef who has written a lot more about culture and racism than destination restaurants. And she arrives as the Chronicle is inviting more reader engagement and investing in a digital future. There's a reason you're listening to me on a podcast right now, even if we do record in a room filled with newspapers. I invited Soleil to come on the big event with food editor Paolo Lucchese, and from the beginning she was funny and thoughtful and just generally delightful. Here's Soleil talking about one of her first food memories, which isn't a very appetizing story for our listeners in the beginning, but takes an introspective turn. I have a couple. So my first food memory is not delicious, but it's interesting, where I, um, well, I used to make popsicles when I lived with my grandma because my mom was working all the time. Um, So I would just kind of be left alone to my own devices. And so I would pour Coca-Cola into Dixie cups (laughs) and stick a chopstick in it and then like put it in the freezer and make a popsicle. So that was my first thing. And then I experimented, and I thought it would be really cool to have a Teddy Grahams popsicle. And so Mm. I took a handful of Teddy Grahams and chewed them up and then put them in the cup and then stuck a chopstick in it. And then You chewed them up and spit them out and put them in the cup and put a chopstick in it. Yeah. Yeah. Did it work? It did work. And then (laughs) uh, my grandma saw it, and she threw it away. As soon as she saw me pull it out, she was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) So, you know, to me, that was very much like... In retrospect, I can spit in a way that paints myself as this young genius prodigy. But, you know, I was thinking about food and how to make food and all the different sorts of flavors that you could potentially come up. I was not limited by convention, you know, or fear. This is what we're talking about with genre defined. (laughs) There's some news in this podcast. Soleil and Paolo talk about their plans for her first reviews, which will be out later this week. And we learn a lot about Soleil, including how her interest in quantum physics shaped her food writing and how she's reviewing Bay Area restaurants without a driver's license, including one new restaurant in Yountville, which she visited by bus. Finally, I asked Soleil to eat her first It's It ice cream sandwich live on the podcast, and it went horribly wrong and was devastating to me personally, but also entertaining. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to The Big Event. Soleil Ho, for the first time. Hi. Hi. Uh, and Paolo Lucchese. Hello. Welcome A, a series <laughs> regular. You're a series regular. Yeah. <laughs> I put all the letters up on the board here, and Paolo has his own little pile of letters, so I don't have to go hunt for them. So that's how much of a regular he is. Um, yeah, so welcome, Soleil. I'm so happy you're here. Oh, thanks for having me. So you've been here a few weeks now? Yes. Um, gosh. About a month. It's not that long. Nice. So we heard you were being hired, I think, in November. 
or thereabouts yeah probably and then i immediately started stalking you on your twitter account i'm sorry and <laughs> i wanted to ask you before we get to you know i want to get your origin story i want to talk about how um how this connection happened but i wanted to ask you about your first meal in san francisco because you are you are not a bay area native no yeah, and you came here. I saw Red's Java House, a hamburger. <laughs> that was the first one. Was that your first meal in San Francisco? In my life, no. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember my first ever meal. And I visited oh, a long time ago, years ago, when I was just a poor grad student, just to, I don't know, just to, to see the city. And I think I dragged my friend to Zuni, actually, and we were too poor to get the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> And so I think we just split a pizza, and it was pretty good, if I remember correctly. That's a strong play at Zuni. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good first San Francisco place to visit. Oh, actually, I remember what happened, too. I got the fish, which was such a, a splurge for me. And I remember hailing the server and being like, there's scales on this fish. You need to fix this. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go over? Um, Not great. They just nodded and walked away and nothing ever happened, but yeah. So I don't know if I'm, I don't want to scoop any, uh, I, I don't want to destroy any 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 exclusive you have, but Red's Java House, can you give me like a, a you know, paragraph or two review of, of your burger there and your Red's Java House experience? Oh man, yeah. I loved dining at a place that feels like it could just fall into the ocean <laughs> so easily um, just by jumping too hard on it. And I'd never had a burger that had a like a, a sort of sourdough baguette bun. That wasn't a bun. It was just like bread. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I really liked how unadorned it was, just the whole thing. Because the thing I posted about when I went there was that I hate lettuce on burgers. And they didn't put lettuce on it. And I was so happy about it. Because I hate hot lettuce. I generally hate lettuce, but I even hate hot lettuce more. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was just, I felt really validated. They have a sign up like telling you don't ask for lettuce. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's very, very clear. And I would never ask for lettuce. So that was my place. Excellent. Well, that's a great start in San Francisco <laughs> in 2019. Um, I brought uh, an It's It. It's a Palo It's It. It's a local ice cream treat of great. Um, I mean, that's one way to put it, or civic treasure. Civic treasure. Um, <laughs> Bay Area institution. Um, but yeah, no, they are. It's it. It's the San Francisco treat. Yeah, and this is going to be, um, now I know your first review isn't coming out until days after even this podcast comes out, but I'm kind of getting a scoop here. I, I think this is your first official review. Will you try an It's It, a regional ice cream treat, and just let us know what you think of it? Sure. Okay. Paolo, will you... Cut that up. I have a knife. Hold on. <laughs> All right. So we have vanilla and mint. So okay. this is it's great radio. <laughs> oh, wow. You smuggled a knife in. Wow. Yeah, I did. That's... So I was surprised to learn, because I haven't read too much about the It's It, that it uh -huh. is an oatmeal cookie with ice cream. Yeah, and it's got like a stray raisin in it too. A raisin? Oh. Do you have food allergies? Rose I should ask raisin. you that before yeah, I I'm feed you on my ice podcast. Cream. Allergic to ice cream and cookies. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, too bad. Um, okay, I'll eat this. Okay, a lot of... Lot of I'm going to uh, eat it far from the mics to not, you know, torment your listeners. Yeah. We've done this to Justin Phillips as well, although mm -hmm. we waited till the end of the podcast <clears throat> episode, mm -hmm. and it was all melty, and I didn't bring napkins. So... <laughs> This is an improvement That's on painful. that. That's painful. Yeah. 
So I had the vanilla one, okay. a bite of it, and um, yeah, I can see why the whole box is worth like a dollar thirty-eight. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Shots fired! Shots fired! <laughs> That's great. Not a fan of the it's it. You know, it's good. It's all right. Do you want to try the mint, or are you just is that torture? I'm not going to make you eat it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try the mint because it's got this really appealing greenish color what is it green it's kind of blue it's almost shrek colored yeah <laughs> it's like what comes out of shrek's nose <laughs> okay all right let's all right, see she's trying it mm-hmm. it's blue <laughs> hmm. i like the mint more like the mint more so does mm-hmm. paolo yeah that's that's the correct answer that's the correct answer she's ranked the answer <laughs> so all I'm right not fired thanks no no you're not fired but i mean i'm a little sad i'm not gonna lie to you these uh, we're uh, way too wrapped up in this regional treat um i'm glad we didn't bring the pink popcorn i'm glad we didn't take her to um hard rock cafe oh yeah we'll, we'll do that next time um i wanted to ask you a little bit just about um how this came to be and i wanted to actually start with you paolo michael bauer announces his it's not his retirement but he's going to leave the chronicle and it's right around the time that jonathan gold past and it seems like there's just this sea change um in food criticism potentially what's going through your head did you feel pressures i mean i i don't think pressure is the right word i think is i mean i think it was just a huge opportunity um just for you know american criticism as a whole but especially california restaurant criticism Mm -hmm. um i think you know what we wanted to do we had a very clear idea what we wanted to do there were a couple ways to do it. Um, I mean, I think generally speaking, we wanted to really be able to push forward the genre of restaurant criticism. Um, And, you know, I think, and primarily through just like the ways that we can, you know, just think about what criticism is. It's not just, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, That's maybe part of it. But I think, you know, more, more specifically, we wanted to you know, in in the Bay Area, restaurants are part of such a part of our culture. They are a lens into our culture. And I think, you know, Soleil has already been a leader on a national scale of kind of redefining what food thinking can be and thinking around food. Um, so, I mean, I think it was just a really, I mean, we had a lot of great candidates, but it was a really easy choice for us to be honest um because of you know just what she brings to the table so that you're in minneapolis um last year correct Mm -hmm. and uh you have your podcast racist sandwich and you're writing about food and culture did you see what was going on in california and think there's a place for me here how did you kind of figure out that this job was opening and that it might be something for you uh, yeah, so Racist Sandwich was a podcast about food and race and class and gender, and a lot of it, a lot of our project had to do with media too, and thinking about the ways in which food writing kind of perpetuated or dismantled the ways that could be potentially oppressive about like the way we think about food. Oh God, I'm all like mucusy from the dairy. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Giving you the it's it early. Now we've got melting it's it's here. We've got water. That's true. So just take the water. At some point, we'll figure out what to do with this it's it mess here. Mm. Um, It's Asian people kryptonite. It's bad. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Anyway, a lot of the listeners of Racist Sandwich were coming from the Bay Area. Uh And we did a lot of events where people um, would 
just come talk to us and say like, oh yeah, I'm from San Francisco, but I moved to Portland, but I think that like this is really important for you know what's happening at home. <clears throat> and so that's how we started to hear about it. And that's how I started to hear about it. And of course, like just, I've always wanted to make a home here, but you know, obviously knowing what we know about the state of things in the Bay Area, it was never gonna happen without a, a job job. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just really glad that that came up. And so, you know, the question you asked about the potential of restaurant criticism was something that was posed to us too. And so we were paying attention to what was happening. And, you know, if I wasn't involved, we would have been covering it too. <laughs> um, so it was naturally something that I cared about a lot. Looking at food through the lens of culture, was that something that um, you were thinking about from the moment that this position opened up, Paolo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by no means is that an original thought either. I mean, that's something that, you know, plenty of, I think that's, I mean, I think, you know, it's not a new thing. It's nothing that, you know, say Jonathan Gold hasn't done or dozens of other awesome writers around the country. But I think it's certainly reached um, more of a fever pitch, you know, in the, in recent years. And I think it's certainly, um, you know, our team here at the Chronicle with like, the things that uh, Justin Phillips has done, the things that Jonathan Kaufman has done, the things that Esther Mobley has done in wine criticism realm. Um, you know, this is kind of a part of our Bay Area. It's a part of our region. And, you know, it's like, you know, L.A. has great restaurants, but L.A. also has, you know, the film industry. New York has a lot of industries that are, you know, so New York. Um, the restaurants um, really do feel like one of our major both entertainment and culture hubs in the Bay Area. And I think it's really, we should be really thinking about what that means, especially because our city and our cities, whether it's San Francisco, Oakland, uh, San Bruno, whatever, they're in this sea change right now. This is like a big, not to use that word again, but like this is a really a point where everything, a lot of things are changing. Um, and we you can tell a lot of that story through restaurants. I wanted to get to the origin story a little bit. Do, do you have a first, uh, very first delicious food memory? Hmm. Um, okay, I have a couple. So my first food memory is not delicious, but it's interesting. Where I, um, well, I used to make popsicles at when I lived with my grandma because my mom was working all the time. Um, so I would just kind of be left alone to my own devices. And so I would pour Coca-Cola into Dixie cups and stick a chopstick in it and then like put it in the freezer and make a popsicle. So that was my first thing. And then I experimented and I thought it would be really cool to have a Teddy Grahams popsicle. And so mm. I took a handful of Teddy Grahams and chewed them up and then put them in the cup and then stuck a chopstick in it. And then you chewed it. them up and spit them out yes. and put them in the cup yeah. and put a chopstick in it. Yeah. Yeah. And Did it work? It did work. And then uh, my grandma saw it and she threw it away as soon as she saw me pull it out. She was like, oh. what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, that was very much like, <laughs> in retrospect, I can spit in a way that paints myself as this young genius prodigy. But, you know, I was thinking about food and how to make food and all the different sorts of flavors that you could potentially come up. I was not limited by convention, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. or fear. This is what we're talking about with genre defined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, And then I think my first restaurant memory was going on a field trip, actually, in grade school to a bistro in in Manhattan. And um, we went, they opened up that hatch in the sidewalk that you always step over and you never like really know what's down there. And so we walked down into the bowels of the restaurant and um, the 
the general manager pulls out, because he's giving us this tour, he pulls out a monkfish, like a whole monkfish, and all the kids are like, oh my god, ew! And he asked us, what what is it? Like, if any of us could like name the thing. And I raise my hand and I say, oh, it's a monkfish. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then he, I think... Um, he just was very confused that this nine-year-old kid knew what that was. But I had read it on the menu as I was walking past the restaurant. And I, you know, I guessed. It's like the beginning of a Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the beginning of a Pixar movie. Yeah. Was, was there a lot of cooking going on in your household, your parents or grandparents? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cooking, but I think more importantly, a lot of um, takeout, a lot of delivery. Because my mom worked a lot and she was single for a lot of my childhood and so she would sort of after school fan out our delivery menus and just ask us to pick which cuisine we wanted that night and so my sister and I would have fights over like Indian versus Italian versus Thai versus Vietnamese and so we just grew up with a really wide palate and just an appreciation for all kinds of foods at least whatever was in delivery radius of our apartment. When did you figure out that maybe writing and the food would fit together. Was that something that happened early on? Hmm. Um, I think I never really thought of myself as a writer. Um, not until after college, actually. I wanted to get into physics, um, quantum physics, actually, in, in particular. And I really enjoyed the act of condensing quantum physics into a form that is, I guess, comprehensible you know, to the average human. And so that's kind of where thinking about philosophy and ethics and all these sort of heady things started and thinking about how to just communicate better, right? And so after college, I started interning just randomly for a food magazine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they started giving me staff jobs and then I started writing and I was like, oh, I guess I can do this too. And I, over time, wanted to reconcile like both of those halves of, you know, my brain and started kind of pulling in these bigger ideas into my food writing, even though it didn't make sense to the people who, was, who were reading it. They're like, why are you talking about like racism in this taco review? And I was like, you know what? Just wait. Wait like 10 years, and then it'll be normal. Lo and behold. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, during that time, you were also a chef, correct? Mm-hmm. And, and was that... Um, were you doing both or, or was that something that was full time for you and you were going back and forth? So I started off after college as a just garmage cook, um, just the lowest of the low, um, chopping parsley all day for very little money and drinking a lot because that was the culture. And so I was doing that full time and just writing on the side. And I think up until, gosh, maybe this past year, I was doing everything all at once. And so, of course, I went through my career in kitchens, you know, progressed to chef and executive chef and whatever. But at the same time, I was making my podcast and doing a bunch of writing. Just And I was able to focus my writing on things I wanted to write about rather than having to do, like, you know, the sort of day-to-day grind sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And I was able to kind of find my niche and just keep banging on it and just making it exist where it didn't really exist before. And, and how would you describe that niche? I mean, did it develop? Is it something that just was clear to you from the from the time you started writing? Um, it wasn't clear to me from the beginning because it didn't really exist that much. But the main thing that 
has often governed the way I choose stories and the way I like find stories is thinking about what makes me or other people uncomfortable and then just leaning into it. Mm-hmm. And that might be race and that might be questions about like food ethics and why we eat what we eat. And it might be just like bigger questions about morality and, you know, so for some reason that's always been fascinating just like picking it apart and asking like why do we believe this about you know this banal thing that we do every day and um what happens if we switch that around i mean you have you've had such like a unique path what advice would you give folks who are trying to like really break into this industry i mean you've kind of been so persistent you've had so many different paths to get here you know um what do you give for the young writer who might be interested in kind of becoming you one day (laughs) um my well what is really fortunate right now is that there are a lot of like upstart publications there's a lot of zines there's a lot of websites and so you can sort of spread yourself around and right find the zines or the websites or the small publications that do what you really are interested in and then submit stories to them you know you don't have to aim for the new york times at the beginning right um you don't have to aim for the chronicle at the beginning you can start small because you know you don't know anybody i didn't know anybody when i started i was just a cook you know um if anything my relationships to food writing were were like pretty adversarial (laughs) you know because they were the ones who were you know critiquing the places where i worked and that was sort of the rhetoric that i was absorbing from my coworkers. so i just started sending things to people (laughs) um and another thing that really helped in the past couple years actually was having a pretty robust social media presence and so that's something that's free Mm. you can just do that one of the first things i did when i heard that you were coming was i listened to racist sandwich Mm -hmm. and i I immediately i went around telling people you're going to come in you're going to be the best podcaster here (laughs) just by stepping foot in the building Uh, it's a fantastic podcast and and uh you know, you put your heart into it and you're a great host, but there's something else to it that there's a level of expertise and knowledge that um, is infused in it in a fun, organic way, which is all to say, is that going to continue? Or are you going to start something like that here? What, what are your podcasting plans at The Chronicle? I really want to start a podcast at The Chronicle um, because, well, one, I won't have to use my own equipment, which is amazing. <laughs> and there's rooms. I don't have to record in my closet anymore. Um, it just feels really luxurious <laughs> to be in a place. <laughs> As you're in the dingy uh, basement archive here, we have other podcast yeah, studios yeah. for you. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm excited to take advantage of the many resources here for podcasting. And I have a ton of ideas, and hopefully one of them will stick. What's your what's your approach going to be as far as the beat's concerned? Um, how is it going to be the same, and how is it going to be different in terms of the food coverage? And that's a question for both of you. What, what are what are readers and listeners going to going to see? Oh gosh, um, so I consider my reviews to be pretty story forward. I think a lot about the sort of macro ideas that I can pull into the general story of a restaurant. Like, what is the what is the restaurant trying to tell me with all of the sort of signifiers in the room and the menu and the language and just the people around you? And, you know, how does that fit into society as a whole? And so that's a pretty broad question, but there's so many things you can pull into that. Um, and so for me, deciding, yes, I'm going to review this place is more of a question of like, what can I say about this place that is interesting to people? Yeah. Rather than like, you know, does it deserve a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down, as Paolo said. Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, just even just having shared a few meals with Soleil, uh, you know, she is, 
she knows her stuff. Like she knows her, she sees things in restaurants that, you know, those of us who haven't, she, she's been on both sides of the fence, so to speak. So she sees things that, that I don't see. She sees things that a lot of people don't see. Um, and you know, and she's, you know, are you picky? Would you say you're picky? Or, uh, but you know, she's she has a very strong, she has a great palate, and she understands what's wrong and what's right, and when such things are presented um, in that black and white <laughs> way. Um, but yeah, she's really good at just like you know, a lot of things. As <laughs> eloquent. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's been in kitchens, I can kind of tell when things have broken down you know, somewhere along the process in the back when I receive a dish or I can tell when someone is really on point and, you know, I can see like how that manifests as well. And I guess I wouldn't say I'm picky, but I do have strong opinions about lettuce and green peppers. (laughs) I'll eat them for, you know, for work, but I'm more like nitpicky. Yeah. I think there's a difference. I I saw you eat the it's it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, uh, what about uh, anonymity? Um, you're you're here with us now. I haven't tried to take a photo yet, but your photo's been out there. Mm-hmm. You're um, of an age where a lot of people's photos are out there. What's your approach going to be to that, and have you kind of figured that out? Well, it's kind of interesting, and I think this is parallels what we how we talk about politics too. Um, as you know, the boomer generation ages out, and more people from my generation start running for politics, it'll be way easier to dig up weird stuff from our like internet trail right there is very um you know the internet lives forever and you know when i was 15 i didn't think about that so i'm sure there's some stuff out there and you know that's something that we're gonna have to reckon with as you know the people who are gonna be in jobs like ours you know go get you know have been born like more and more recently and so I think we're among the first to think about this in terms of food criticism because, you know, anonymity was so sacred for a lot of them. Like being a cipher was so sacred and important. Um, but for me, that was predetermined. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. And so the answer, I mean, the question has already been answered for me in a sense. You know, the decision has already been made for me, although they could have just not hired me because I wasn't anonymous. That's <laughs> also a choice they had. But they So didn't. will your photo be in the paper? Will you be out at events and be filmed and... <laughs> Um, I really, so I don't think we're going to post my photo in the paper very much, if at all. Um, so far, it seems like our informal rule is just no more photos, mm-hmm. <laughs> not adding to the pile, although the pile itself is very hefty. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's another aspect to visibility that I think is important, especially with regard to this role and this time and me in that, like, there's only been a tiny tiny handful of restaurant critics of color in this country and that's why I do events that's why I'm you know out there and very public about you know who I am and what I'm about because at what other point in history has someone like me been in this position yeah I think it's important that Soleil does events and is you know on podcasts and stuff like that and you know she has so much to say she's a her she's she's a thought leader in in this country and that thought doesn't just manifest itself on the page you know it's mm-hmm. being being a being a leader in this day and age is so much more than that and i think and that's and i think soleil has been doing that and hopefully she keeps doing that and, and i guess another question is does it matter does anonymity matter based on what you're going to cover because i don't expect you're going to be at a lot of restaurants that are going to be sitting there with your photo behind the cash register <laughs> waiting for you to come you're, you're going to go all around the bay area correct 
Right. Although, I mean, as we've learned recently, <laughs> it seems like, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of restaurant you are. You probably will have my photo because it's so easy. Why not? Yeah. Um, and so, you say, as we've learned, has there been an incident? <laughs> yeah. So there was just a, a piece that came out on Eater um, today, I think, about oh. the lack of reviews in, in the Bay Area. And it was mostly about me. <laughs> uh, maybe they were shading me for being lazy. Who knows? But um, they interview a bunch of chefs about, you know, what it's been like to not have like a full time reviewer. In the but area. we have a full-time reviewer. You just got here, and you got to get settled. And I know. Come on, yeah. eater. People are impatient. People are super impatient. But there's a little anecdote about this one restaurant in Temescal that had, like, as soon as they heard that I started the job, they printed out a picture and put it on their um, walk-in cooler. Cool. Well, Paolo, <laughs> Paolo will tell you that um, I have costuming experience at the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. I made a It's It costume, and I've made others. So if you need any disguises, I can set you up with that. I can help you. We have a whole team. <laughs> we have a build team. I don't think we're going to need that, though, correct? No. Because yeah. um, that's the thing. And I think Jonathan Gold articulated it really well when he talked about his own lack of anonymity in that, you know, you there's not a ton a restaurant can do, you know? Um, and I think anonymity is just kind of an illusion anyway, because, uh, I mean, there's so many other things you can say about a restaurant that aren't, that don't hinge on that. Mm-hmm. You know, the restaurant can't go back in time. If they don't know you're coming, right, they can't, you know, buy better produce or they can't uh, change the, oh, well, they can play, change the playlist nowadays. Um, but they can't change who is actually in the restaurant at the time, you know. Um, and so, the number of restaurants that can actually completely change the experience on a whim, you know, mm. on the fly like that is really, really rare. In terms of the, the Bay Area, do you find it daunting? I'm sure there's so many places you want to go coming here. And, and how do you sort of figure out where you're going to go first and how you're going to tackle this? Um, it's been pretty, I don't know, it's, I, I try to have an intentional mix of new and old spots. Especially, you know, with that consciousness that there haven't been a lot of new reviews from the Chronicle in the interim between Michael and I. And so I, you know, want to go to these places that have opened in 2017 or, I mean, sorry, 2018. It's uh, 2019. Uh, you know, um, that were new but now aren't so new. But I think, you know, they they deserve some sort of, you know, thought put in their direction. Yeah. So this is coming out Monday. Can you tell me a little bit about what we're going to see over the next few weeks? Because your first articles are coming soon, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty wide mix, I think. Um, Super awesome is another way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll be releasing five. Yeah. We can say we're gonna, that. We're going to do something a little different. But yeah, to start at least. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get into a regular rhythm. Yeah. Five reviews. Five reviews. At once. Like wow. Netflix. That's you can, awesome. You can binge, binge it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so forward thinking. I thought we were forward thinking. That is super forward thinking. The I'm essentially going to be the entirety of the food section. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's going to be a great thing to pick up. Can you tell me the range? Yeah. Um, so let's see. There will be some pretty wonderful Chinese-American restaurants um, from Sichuanese to just straight dim sum. Um, and gosh, then we go to Chez Panisse, which that'll, you know, that'll be interesting, right? Yeah. Um, and then I go to one of the most requested restaurants, 
uh, La Calenda, the restaurant in Yountville, opened by the Thomas Keller group uh-huh. that does Mexican cuisine. <laughs> um, and let's see, I went to La Folie and their lounge, which is in Russian Hill. And what else? What was the, what was the last one? Nyambai. Oh, yeah. Oh, that one was good, too. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to all this. Yeah. Um, What's what's been uh, what's been hard and what's been easy about uh, your first month here? Oh man, um, what's been really hard, I think, has been figuring out how to um, get places because <laughs> I don't drive. Mainly, one I can say because out of principle, you know, it saves the environment. But two, I also don't know how. <laughs> 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 I'm learning. I'm going to get my permit. It's going to happen. I'm not going to, I'm going to practice in Oakland, I think. Um, But, you know, like learning the BART system and Muni and then like, oh no, the bus didn't come that was scheduled. I have to sit here for another like half hour. That's been difficult. But But that's awesome too. I mean, I think that's awesome. Is all public transit to get to your destinations? Yeah. I, in my review of La Calenda, I also include which bus will take you there. And uh, it does take three hours to get from the San Francisco Chronicle office to Yountville, which is funny. I think this I think is that's like, important information. I think it's super important, and it's <laughs> transit ratings too. I mean, that's mm-hmm. useful. Tell, give, give me a transit rating. How are you feeling about the uh, Bay Area transit system in your first month? Oh man, I feel really lucky in that I picked an apartment that is like on the five, so it just it's a straight shot to work. Five Fulton. That. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely line. I'm a fan. Yeah. I've heard a lot about because I was I was debating living in Richmond versus Sunset, and I heard a lot of stuff about the Judah line. I was like, all right, well, um, maybe not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Paolo knows. Mm-hmm. Um, Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so I I'm really happy about the Fulton line. I think it's great. What's been your biggest transit nightmare so far? And if you already told me it, what's been the second biggest? Oh man, the biggest transit nightmare. Um. I thought it would be easy to get from Telegraph Hill to Fruitvale um, on public transit, and I ended up having to go to that um, that transit hub. I forget what it's called. It's it, it goes all the it's all the buses and the it, there's like numbers and letters and it's very confusing. So I was just wandering around that space for a half hour, like where <laughs> is my bus supposed to be? And then I missed my appointment in Fruitvale. I was like, all right, never mind. All right, <laughs> I can help you with that. I I did a little transit thing i i mention it in every podcast it's, so it was gonna get a drinking anyway. game really or hopefully <laughs> the listeners whenever you time you mention it i wrote i wrote every muni bus in in san francisco in one day and uh it's just in my dna now it's all mm-hmm. i do is ride muni but um i'm super excited about that aspect of it uh, are you going to learn to drive i will try if anyone has any recommendations for driving schools um yeah write in let me know how often are you cooking now since you've gotten to San Francisco. Oh, man. Um, well, my husband just arrived with all of our cooking stuff, and so it's been once a week so far. Nice. And what have you been making? Last time we cooked, I made tomatoes and eggs, um, particularly Francis Lamb's recipe in the New York Times. I'm going to think of a... Paolo, you can think of a couple lightning round questions if you want. I've got a couple more. Um, <laughs> what do you listen to when you cook? Oh, uh, I listen to podcasts. And so my favorite podcast right now is called Punch Up the Jam, and it is by Mila Bredow and Demi Adijuwebe, um, and they just take pop songs and 
deconstruct them and then make their own cover of it. It's really great. Oh, nice. They I just did an episode about Mbop, which is wonderful. Favorite food movie? Oh, man. Um, Le Grand Buffet. All right. It's like about it. a bunch of really rich dudes in France who want to kill themselves by eating. And so they just hole up in this mansion and they eat the most decadent meals until they die. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. What, what, around when, what, what era is that? I think it was, I think it was the 80s. And, and uh, favorite San Francisco movie? Do you have one? The Room. That's fantastic. That's a uh, David Fincher. That's like on my underrated list. Paolo, have you seen David The Room? David Fincher. No, oh. The Room. Oh, I'm thinking of The Game. But, yeah. That's oh the no, game. you're you're doing the one with that guy who. Uh, yeah, Tommy The Midnight Wiseau. Movie. Tommy yeah. Wiseau. Oh, okay. First time you saw it, give me a little bit of your your thoughts about The Room. There are a lot of shots of the Golden Gate Bridge in it. That's how I know it was in San Francisco. And they play in the park with the football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Nice. Paolo, any lightning round? Um, I'm curious if kind of any surprises with, um, without giving anything away, because I don't, I don't think you were talking about this in any of your earlier reviews, but just what impressions of just San Francisco dining? Um, yeah, I was really surprised. I guess this isn't San Francisco, but I was surprised area, by Fremont yeah. and just all of the amazing things that I saw in Fremont, just walking around the strip malls, um, which sounds really I don't know, chow houndy stereotypical. But at the same time, I was reading all of these menus and just thinking like, oh my God, like I've never seen this before. Um, You know, I went to this Uyghur place that really impressed me. And then a couple doors down was a bun mi place that had wood smoked pork belly in their sandwiches. And just like, who, like, that's amazing. It's so cool. Do you find there's a lot of places that you just want to stop at, but you can't because you just ate this incredible meal and- Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a running document of just the missed chances that I'll have to revisit. Misconnections. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Soleil, when am I going to be able to read your first reviews, um, your first writing? In print, March 3rd. Nice. And that'll be the five reviews? Yes. And then from there, what kind of like, uh, uh, what kind of um, routine are we going to get in? I think weekly to start. And then there'll be other like projects and yeah. newsletter. Newsletter will be cool. So hopefully um, there'll be, you could sign up for that, which will be awesome. Awesome. And podcast is to be determined. Yes. But you're hoping to do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. And um, I just am so happy you came to my podcast and tried and it's it. Um, describe this now. It's a bloodbath now. It's now melted. I didn't have any plans to put it away. But uh, <laughs> well, now they just look like sad frowny faces. Yeah, they do. Oh. Well, I'm going to bring the other four home. Uh, my children love them, and uh, and I love them, and Paolo loves them. And it's okay that you don't like them because this is, um, you know, this is a subjective uh, medium. And uh, I'm super excited to see what you think of everything around here and kind of be able to discover it myself, too. I mean, in a nutshell, about the restaurant scene and its its is that I don't have any nostalgia. <laughs> That's good. nostalgia free is a good way to come in thank you so much for coming in and i can't wait to read uh, everything you've got coming up thank you thanks peter you are listening to the san francisco chronicle thank you to my guests solejo and Paolo Lucchese. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. 
Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. Yeah.